Okay, so exciting day. We're starting a new sermon series. Um, I might want to add that uh, we have a couple of resources that we sent out. There's a She Reads Truth and He Reads Truth Acts devotional, because we're starting the book of Acts, that we sent out uh, links to. And also a book recommendation as N.T. writes uh, Acts um, Guide for Everyone, um, which we'll be using in our community groups as well. If you're interested in those, I, I did send out those links. If you didn't get that email or those links, please talk to me and we'll straighten out our email list. But um, Acts for some of us might be a little curious, like what's it doing in the Bible? You know, it, 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 in some stories don't require a sequel. I think the Blues Brothers 2 was a bad idea. But then if you watch like Infinity War, at the end of Infinity War, I won't spoil it for you. Oh, that's a good graphic. I like that. Um, at the end of, of Infinity War, everyone's saying, what happens now, right? A lot of people don't know this because of how the Bible's arranged, um, but Acts is part two to Luke. Is this news to anybody? So, so Luke and Acts is written by the same person to the same person. It is a part two. And, and the, the end of Luke, Jesus ascends. And Acts picks up right where that is. But, but you know, like Jesus has risen from the dead. And then he ascends. And, and at the end of Luke, you're sitting there saying, well, what happens next? Acts is what happens next. It's the needed uh, sequel. Please read with me as we get started because this first... Uh, these first 11 verses kind of set the entire agenda for the entire book of Acts, of what comes next. But read with me, Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach, until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, Two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Please pray with me. God, may your word shape your people that we would cooperate with what you want us to do, that we would become more who you want us to be, and that we can offer our lives, and our efforts to your purposes. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, there's an old, um, there's an old saying, uh, you know, those who forget history are doomed to repeat it. But here's, here's why that's not true. If it's your history you forget, you're doomed to not repeat it. I, I, have, um, I have four girls, so I've seen Moana. 
I've seen every Disney princess-ish movie multiple times. And in Moana, the, for those of you who don't know it, it takes place on a Pacific island, and, and it's this people who are just, they love their island, and they have great songs about it. And, um, and, and Moana is the daughter of the chief, and she's next in line to be the chief. And, and, and the, the chief kind of tells her, like, look, our island has everything we need with the fish, the, the, the food that grows here and all that. It's safe. It's perfect. We don't leave. And, and in fact, they never go beyond kind of the reef area where they fish. And for those of you who have seen Moana, you're like, oh, please, please move on. But they need to know. Um, and so, of course, the, the heroine, Moana, has a great desire to go and see what's out there, and it becomes imperative because the, the food on the island and the, and the fishing supplies or whatever that is, it starts failing, and no one knows why, and no one knows what to do about it, and Moana has to go on a mission beyond the reef. The only problem is nobody knows how to navigate, except... Moana, while searching around the island, discovers this huge cave with not just little boats, but huge ships. And, and she, she discovers that the history of their people is not a people who just stayed on this island, but they were a people who were navigators and explorers. You see, they had forgotten their history. They forgot who they were, they forgot what they were capable of, and they were forgot, forgot what they were supposed to do. That's what happens when you forget your history. Frequently, the church, the people of God, forget our history. Do you ever look through, through what the church has done in history and scratch your head and say, how did we end up doing that? How did we end up thinking the Crusades were a great idea? How, how, how did these these uh, missionaries practice evangelism through violence in the Americas and elsewhere. Like, we're, we're, that seems like we lost the plot on that. That doesn't seem a whole lot like Jesus. That doesn't seem a whole lot like how we started out. A little closer to home. The church's complicity in America in things like Jim Crow or the slave trade or slavery generally speaking. That doesn't seem... That doesn't seem on brand, does it, with Jesus? They forgot their history. We've seen the church align with fascists and tyrants throughout history, especially in the 20th century. The likes of, of Francisco Franco had the backing of the church, among others. Right now and right here, when we look around and we see the commercialization of Jesus, to where it's become like an entertaining consumer product that, that, that looks a, a heck of a lot like, you know, um, like, like, like the movie High School Musical or something like that. Like, it's, it's losing the plot. It's losing, losing our history. When we forget our history, we forget who we are. We forget what we can do, and we forget what our purpose is. Acts is a history. And some of you, when you hear the H word, you're like, Ugh. it's not a bunch of irrelevant facts copied down to simply preserve facts. That's part of what history does, but especially for what acts as an ancient history. You know what a history does? It tells the people who they are. It tells them what they're supposed to do. By looking to the past and grabbing onto the past, it gives them 
power and direction for the present. When we look at the book of Acts, the first verse, we have to ask, how does this recover who we are, what, we're, what we can do, and what we're supposed to be doing? Look with me at verse 1. It says, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Now that word began is key. If I say, hey Sharon, I began the pizzas, I have to run, run to the store to get something. What am I asking her to do? Keep going with it, right? I'm not done. The, the, with that began, what Jesus began to do and teach, what does it mean? It means that Jesus isn't done. He began it, and what we see in the book of Acts throughout is that the apostles and the church continue to do what Jesus did and taught, right? The whole idea of Acts is that even though Jesus isn't bodily present, he is still at work. That is the first thing we need to know about the book of Acts. You are reading Acts, you are reading about how Jesus is still at work. He is still doing and teaching. How is he still at work? Well, he's still at work through his church. Look with me at verses 2 and 3. It says, until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Now, apostle is a very key word in the New Testament. It has a specific meaning. Apostle means one who is sent. In the ancient world, we saw this more. We still see it to some degree now with like embassies and stuff like that. But before you had telecommunication, you know what you would have to do if you were a king or some other um, you know, governor or something like that, you would send what's called a plenipotentiary, an apostle, one who has your power. They can go and not just communicate a message, but make a deal, make a peace treaty, make a trade agreement. For all intents and purposes, an apostle is the person that sent them. Making sense? So when Jesus is selecting apostles, he is selecting people who are going to have his authority and do what he did. And so you, you may say, well, how does that, how does that apply to us? Because we're not apostles. That's true. We sometimes say, this person has the gift of being an apostle. Properly speaking, an apostle, as we see in, in verse 3, is someone who has seen the risen Christ. That's part of the, the job requirements is, have you seen the risen Christ? No, you are not an apostle. Okay? But you know what we do have? We have the scriptures that they wrote. We also inherited the institution that they started. You know what they do in the book of Acts? They start churches. This church stands in direct succession from those first churches that were planted. We are still doing the work of the apostles when we are engaging in word and worship in the church. How does this tell us who we are? How does this, how does this help us know what to do right now. Well, there's an old TV show, Nerds Rejoice, called Quantum Leap. Does anybody remember Quantum Leap? Yes, Ashley. I know, I'm, somebody had to know Quantum Leap out there. Quantum Leap was a very interesting show. You young people are like, oh, dude, that's choogie. 
Um, anyway, you guys don't even know Chiggy. That's how hip I am. <laughs> so Quantum Leap, it is a failed time machine experiment. That's the whole premise. And this guy who's the scientist gets kind of tossed throughout time, only it's, it, he, he, he like wakes up in someone else's body. Okay, every episode it's somebody, somebody else's body, and, and when it happens, he doesn't know who he is. He, he like goes and, like you're seeing the, the actor, Scott Bakula, and he goes and looks in the mirror, and he'll see an elderly guy. Or he'll see, you know, um, like a, um, a, this, a dude with Down syndrome, something like that. And every time he says, oh boy. Because he has no idea. He's, he's supposed to write some wrong of history, but he starts out not knowing who he is and has no idea what he's supposed to do. And then he finds out, oh, I'm a judge in the 1960s who's judging a civil rights case. Or I'm a, a dock worker with Down syndrome who if I get fired, I'm going to be institutionalized, right? And, and once he knows who he is, then he has some idea of how to make the wrong thing right. Right? So, so before he knows who he is, he has no idea what to do. As I said, it's really easy to forget who we are as a church. The church has thought of itself as the moral majority or some sort of uh, you know, networking country club where I get to hang with, with people of my same income bracket. Or we're a political action group. You know, That's what we do. We're not any of those things. You know what we are? We're the people through whom Jesus is still at work. Now, for a highly risky aside here, because some of you guys, this is going to be way too nerdy, can we call Acts a history, properly speaking? Some, some critical skeptical scholars want to say it's legends. After all, there's miracles in it, and so clearly those are, are legends that grew up over time. But here's the thing. Luke presents Acts as a history. It follows a certain format. If you open up a book that says once upon a time, what are you reading? It's a fairy tale. That's fairy tale format. If you open up a book that says Abraham Lincoln was born this day, this day, this day, what are you reading? You're reading a biography of Abraham Lincoln, right? It's, it's, it follows a certain format, and Luke presents it that way. And contrary to popular belief, the ancients were sticklers now, they, they, they would rearrange material, right, for, for, for different reasons. Maybe it's not the, the exact order. But if you just made something up, like you can read ancient historians. They kill each other over this stuff. They're like, you got this detail wrong in this report, and you shouldn't trust this historian at all. Ancient historians were, were sticklers for the factual basis of their histories. Also, we see that he's writing to someone named Theophilus. Now, it wasn't just for Theophilus, but for the community to which Theophilus belonged. In, in the book of Luke, he calls Theophilus most excellent Theophilus. This is a, a form of address for a Roman noble, same way you would say your honor to a judge. Okay? A Roman noble had high expectations for a history. This would have been a very educated person who, who had stickler-level requirements for a history. And not only that, we have to remember that Acts and Luke were written in the lifetime of the apostles. There was a lot of people walking around that were witness to the events. Doubtless, there were other written sources out there. So to write a history 
while the witnesses are still alive, Luke had to have a high degree of confidence that what he was reporting was indeed factual. And if you're not bored of this yet, I'm going to go one step further. So some critical scholars, this is a bridge too far, I could tell already. Some critical scholars say that Luke we don't know Luke's sources, so he was making it up, like his source was his imagination for this stuff. But here's the thing. We know at least one source that Luke used, right? So he'd have some, he would interview people, he would, he would right, have, but also he had paper sources. You know what source he used that we know he used? is the Gospel of Matthew, which we still have. Do you know how careful Luke is with sources? When you look at where Luke uses Matthew, it is perfect verbatim quotation. Luke doesn't make things up. He is pulling directly from sources with no liberties taken. And not only that, Luke, uh, throughout the book of Acts, he gets local details right in the places he's saying the apostles go to. It, 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 he, he's not someone who even stayed at home and worked from paper sources. He obviously visited these places. Like if, if a certain uh, government office was called something in Pisidian Antioch, he knew it and used it correctly. He had local knowledge of someone who went there to interview people. It would be like someone saying, you know, Matt's car smells like running socks and Chick-fil-A. You've been in it, okay? <laughs> Right? You only know that if you've been there. So Luke is not just, just non-legendary. It is a proper ancient history. And everywhere we can, where we can check him, he comes out smelling like a rose, not my car. So back to the main point, though. Jesus is still at work through his church. And, and part of remembering our history Another part of forgetting your history, I should say, is forgetting what you're capable of, forgetting what you can do. It has a direct impact on, on what you believe you can do. I remember watching um, uh, Dr. Henry Louis Gates of Harvard. You, you guys heard of him? He has this great PBS series called Finding Your Roots, where he takes African-American celebrities uh, you know, who, who cannot trace their history back very far, um, and he he does all the digging he can through DNA and historical research. He's a, Dr. Gates is a historian. And then he sits down with each one and he says, here's what I found out about your family. He did one with Chris Rock that was fascinating, right? He, he sits down with Chris Rock and he says, Chris, what do you think I'm going to find? Uh, like, who, who are your ancestors? He says, well, I suppose that they cleaned up after white people because that's, that's what I think. I'm descended from. That's all I know in my family. He says, well, how about this guy? He opens the, 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 the portfolio here, and he shows Chris his direct, you know, d direct ancestor named Julius Caesar Tingman, who volunteered to be in the Union Army, became a major in the Union Army, after the war bought his own farm, and even was elected to the South Carolina uh, legislature. And Chris Rock, he starts tearing up. He's like, I said I wasn't going to cry. I said, I, you got me, Doc. You got me. And, and he says, well, how does this make you feel, Chris? He says, he says this is amazing. 
If I had known that this was my ancestor, I probably wouldn't have gone into comedy. And he said, what? He said, you have to understand. I, I stumbled on stage at an open mic night. It was an accident I got into comedy. I thought I couldn't do anything. But if I knew about him, I would have said I could do anything because he did it. When you forget your history, you forget what you can do. When we look at the book of Acts, we recover our power. Okay? Look at what Jesus says in verses, what, what, what we see in verses 4 and 5. Is that Jesus is not just at work through the church, but he's at work empowering his people. We can forget this. Verses 4 and 5. It says, while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And then we'll look down with me real quick at verse 8. More specifically, he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in Judea, all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So this, this mission, this work that God is doing, that Jesus is doing through his people, is empowered by the Holy Spirit. Throughout the Old Testament, and we'll go a lot more into this as we go throughout the book of Acts, but the Holy Spirit shows up in the Old Testament and, and descends on a certain person, like King Saul, for a period of time. But we see here there's a game changer the coming of the Holy Spirit that empowers his people to undertake what seems like an impossible task to us, right? Go out, you're going to witness about me to the whole ends of the earth. A huge way that we forget our history is that we may understand Jesus wants us to do something, but then we end up relying on ourselves. Francis Schaeffer once said, the greatest threat to the church is not anything except people trying to do the work of God in the power of the flesh. We, we look at Acts and we see what the Holy Spirit empowered our people to do. It's not our own power. So Jesus is at work through his church. He's at work empowering his people. But you know, when we, when we forget our history, we also forget our purpose. In the, um, in the future dystopian novel, uh, Fahrenheit 451, which probably we've passed the year. I feel like we're in the year that dystopian novels have been set, right? Um, so if those of you who haven't read it, the main character works, he's a fireman at the fire department, except they don't put out fires. They burn books, okay? And he, he's like scratching his head like, how, where did we even come from? He has completely forgotten, that, and everyone has, that the fire department was not founded to burn books. Okay? So they've drifted so far from their purpose, they now do the opposite of their purpose. And that has happened many times in the church. We drift from our purpose until we end up opposing it. You know, there was a pope in the uh, 1600s, Julius III. No? Okay. Julius III literally rode into battle with armies to conquer territory from his neighbors. Like, this is what the church does. This is what I'm supposed to do as the chief pastor in the world. Or, or there was um, 
a monk that went with Pizarro and like gave, literally gave the order to slaughter the Incans. Okay, that, that seemed a little opposite of, of the purpose of what, what we see Jesus uh, telling the apostles to be about here. But we forget it today too. It's not just the past. We see a preoccupation with money and wealth until it becomes like the goal of the godly person to be super successful and affluent. We see churches that can become so self-righteous that someone who's a sinner says, I'm not supposed to be here. That is flip-flopped 180 degrees opposite of what the church is supposed to be. We see the church become so worldly that evangelical, which literally means the gospel, becomes a synonym for, for a political party. That's nuts. That's the exact opposite of what the church is supposed to be. We see church leaders seeking grandiosity and brand building and platform reach, you know, making themselves as big as possible. That is 180 degrees opposite of what the church is supposed to be. So how does looking back at this history realign our purpose with God's purpose? Well, we, we can take some comfort. We all drift, you know? We see the apostles drift almost right away. Look with me at verse 6. It says, So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Anybody? Okay. Verse 3, it said, For 40 days, 40 days the risen Christ ta taught them about what? The kingdom of God. Can you imagine? You're sitting there for 40 days. Jesus, who's back from the dead, is saying, kingdom of God, kingdom of God, kingdom of God. And what's their first question? When's the kingdom of Israel getting restored? <laughs> right? I mean, Jesus had to be like, oh, you know, like, really, guys? This, like, already you're off track here thinking about only Israel? And, and he gets them back on track. In verse 7, he said to them, It is not for you to know times or season that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, so on and so forth, to the ends of the earth. And then, to emphasize his point, he ascends to heaven. Look at verses 9 and 10. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of sight. And while they were, uh, oh, real quick, for some of us, that's super weird. Um, did Jesus launch into outer space and like start orbiting? No, so um, we, we um, not, not being ancient people, misread this often. So first of all, the ancients did not understand heaven to be up, but alongside, right? When, when we see Jesus during his, uh, um, resurrected body period, he kind of, he's there and then he's not. He doesn't go up. It's Heaven is alongside our own world. It refers to God's space, not outer space. And then when it says he was lifted up, this is not talking about direction, but position. If I say, um, hey, my friend was moved up in her company, does that mean they put her on a higher floor in the building? No, it means that she got a promotion, right? Um, so, so that's the idea in which he was lifted up. And then the cloud can be especially confusing because we think cumulonimbus. That's not what's going on. 
back in Luke chapter 9, there's an event called the Transfiguration where Jesus is revealed in his glory. And a cloud shows up that represents the presence of God. Oh yeah, we know our Bible so well that we're going to connect that to the cloud of the presence of God in Exodus 19. The cloud is not a cumulonimbus. It's the presence of God that takes him into heaven. And then, um, yeah, that's it. So he's not going up. He's, it's still weird, you know. He's, he's, he disappears into this cloud of God's presence. And if you and I were there, I would be pure slack jaw, just like staring as the apostles are doing. And look what happens next in verses uh, in, in verse 10 and 11. While they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes, doesn't say who they are, and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So they're standing there, as we would too, just flabbergasted. What happened? Is he really gone? What, what's going on here? And they're like, hey, y'all, focus up. Let's get back on track here. He's going to be back, <laughs> right? He's saying, let's focus on the right thing. What? Not Israel, not heaven, the kingdom of God. The kingdom does not refer to going to heaven. The kingdom is wherever Christ's reign is acknowledged on earth. That's what the kingdom is. And we see the kingdom emphasized. Remember, Verse 3, he taught them for 40 days about the kingdom. Verse 8, you're going to witness, you're going to spread the message about me to the ends of the earth. That's the kingdom. The, the, the beings, I, I want to say angels, but it doesn't say, uh, in, in verse 11 saying he's going to be back the same way he left. That is a Daniel 7 drop. In Daniel 7, there is this one who comes in glory on a cloud, called the Son of Man who comes to rule the earth in righteousness. Jesus is still at work building the kingdom, and that is our purpose and our focus. And whenever we take our eyes off that and say, our focus is to get so-and-so elected, our focus is to make ourselves rich, our focus is on the family, whatever, all those things are fine. I, I unintentionally swiped at Dobson. <laughs> But there it is. <laughs> if we're taking our eyes off the kingdom, off of uh, how the reign of Christ is acknowledged in the world, we're, we're losing, we're drifting. And we can end up just as absurdly opposed to God's purposes as the monks with Pizarro or, or whoever. Okay? Jesus is still at work building his kingdom. So Jesus is at work. That's the main thrust of Acts. He's at work through the church. He's at work empowering his people and building his kingdom. What is, what is the book of Acts? What's the message to us? Far from being some irrelevant, neat stories about what people did back then, it's a call to each and every one of us that we must continue what Jesus began to do and teach. Jesus is still at work. We need to continue what Jesus began to do and teach. I get the picture in my head of, of this, of like, like the Olympic torch. You know, the, the Olympic tor torch goes something like 12,000 miles, okay? 
And, and you know, they light it at the beginning, and someone runs their part. And what's their entire job? Don't let it go out. Don't drop it. And make sure you hand it on intact to the next person. So on and so on and so on. If you could imagine with me, looking back thousands of years to a torch that was lit by Jesus and handed to the apostles and handed on every generation, it's in our hands right now. Not just grace and peace, but our generation. What's our job? It's to make sure this thing doesn't go out. It's to make sure that we hand it on to the next generation, just like it was handed on to us. We need to continue what Jesus began to do and teach. So first of all, teaching is in there. This is a, a crucial part of what we do as God's people. We teach the Word. Now, not every single one of you is called to, like, go to seminary and teach the Bible in the, in the same capacity that, that I or someone else does. But all of us being committed to the Word, to preserving the teaching of the Word as a church is how we continue to teach and do. Witness to the resurrection. That's a huge part of the message. That's, that's why we talk about the gospel so often here. It's because we want to continue to do what Jesus began. Disciple those who follow Jesus. Each and every one of us has a hand in that. We disciple each other. Y'all disciple me in community group, in, our, in the, the selection of our governors, in informal conversations and relationships. When, you, when we are talking about Jesus, when we're learning from one another, we're discipling each other. We're continuing to do and teach what Jesus did. And then also there's, there's not just what, like, didn't, Jesus wasn't just a teacher. He did a lot of things. Now, I don't think any of you have miracle-working power that I know of. Please stop holding out if you do. Uh, but there's a lot of things that Jesus, called, that Jesus did that we need to continue. The church should not be known for being harsh and judgmental. That's ridiculous. We should be known for binding up the brokenhearted. That's what Jesus did. We should not be known for being an exclusive holy club. That's not what Jesus did. Jesus welcomed in the outcast. He, woke, he, he, he touched the leper. Those who had terrible reputations. He befriended them. He included them. He taught them. Jesus, you know, there were so many societal divisions in his day, just like there are in ours, around ethnicity, around gender, around morality, around class. He charged right over them. Didn't care. He crossed those boundaries. He pronounced pardon to the guilty. That's what we need to be about. It's ridiculous to me that the church has a reputation for being this judgmental, exclusive, holy club. That's 100% opposite to what we're supposed to be. That's not what Jesus began to do and teach. We must be, continue what Jesus began to do and teach. Please pray with me.